have the privilege of introducing our speaker today, who is also my friend, Fernando Carrillo. Woo! Yes, he is one of the student pastors here at HTB. We do love Fernando. He is one of the most efficient, productive, and passionate people I've ever met. And he's going to serve some fire tonight. Oh, thank you, Fernando. Rachel. I've had the privilege of serving here at HTB for a year and seven months now. I've been serving on the student team, the best, the best team in the whole of HTB. The students are, are the, mo the people most on fire in the whole of HTB. Isn't that right, students? Yeah, see, you can hear it in them. I've been really blessed to be a part of HTB, and this was my second focus. And I really, really loved it. I, all, I, I don't know about you, but I felt slightly disorientated for the first week after coming back. I didn't know what time of day it was, I didn't know if I was awake or sleeping, if I was hungry, tired, um, but slowly I got back into the rhythm of things. I don't know about you, but I'm really missing a few things of fo about focus. I'm missing the bacon rolls that the students were serving every morning. Yes, are we missing those? I'm missing the big top sessions, who's missing those? Yeah, I'm missing Kingdom Come, who's missing those? Yeah, you're not missing it so much. Come on, who's missing Kingdom Come? Right, but one of the things that I'm really, really missing were, um, there was a stand in, in Focus and they sold donuts. Um, I don't know if you remember these donuts. They, they, they were selling them, for, I, can't, I think it was six for four pounds. Six for four pounds, is that right? Yeah, they, they know about those donuts. I, I know I was getting ripped off, but I couldn't say no to those donuts. And every time I saw somebody walking around with like one of those white bags that I knew was full of donut goodness, I'll try to get around them to hopefully they'll give me a bite. And if they're a real friend of mine, they'll give me a whole donut. Um, so I really miss those things. And I found it impossible to say no to those donuts. There was another thing that I found it impossible to say no to, and it was this stand. This cheese toasty stand. Okay, now the, whoever designed Focus, they're, they're so clever because they put this stand right on the path as you're coming out of the big top, you have to walk past this cheese toasty stand. And obviously it's late at night, everybody's hungry, and those cheese toasties were amazing. They're about seven pounds, seven pounds? Yeah, which again was extortionate, but you just couldn't help yourself. I found it so difficult to say no to those cheese toasties. If anybody had a cheese toastie, I'll get around them. Hopefully they'll give me half. And if I, and, but more often than not, they just gave me a bite. But I would have to end up buying a few because I couldn't say no to those cheese toasties. There's a, and cheese toasties and donuts are relatively innocent things to not be able to say no to. But last week, I had my 10-year reunion with my school friends. 10 years since I left secondary school. I know it doesn't look like I'm that old, but it's been 10 years since school. And I was meeting up with all my school friends and we were just reminiscing about what school was like. Um, and it got me thinking about all the things that I couldn't say no to when I was in school. The first few years of school were, were fun, they were all well and good, but when it started getting to year 10 and 11, I found that I started not being able to not say no to, to quite a few things like Bunking lessons. I found it really difficult to say no to my friends who were bunking lessons, especially French. 
I don't think I went to a whole French class in the whole of year 10 or 11. Um, and then I found it difficult to, to say no to, to things that people started doing around me, like smoking. I found it really difficult to say no to that. Then smoking other things that people started to smoke towards year 11. Towards the end of school, I ended up having to leave school with basically no GCSEs because I, was, I couldn't say no to my friends and to the things that they were, they were doing. After school, I tried to go to college once, and when I went to college, at this time, I started to get a lot worse. I started to find it really difficult to say no to my friends and to the even more um, dodgy things that they were doing. So the first year of college, I got kicked out of college. Who gets kicked out of college? I did. Then I tried to go into college for a second time. This time, again, I was finding it even more and more difficult to say no to, to my friends. At this time, I was getting more involved with drugs and more involved in, in crime. And at the age of 17, I went to prison. When I was in prison, I said, I'm going to come out of here and I'm going to be completely different. I'm going to come out of prison and I'm going to be completely different. I'm going to be able to say no. I'm going to try and do the right thing. I'm going to try and study. I'm going to try and get a job. I'm going to do what's right. But then I came out of prison and I found it really difficult to say no. And not only did I, was I not able to say no, I just got a whole lot worse. I got even more involved in drugs, more involved in crime. To, and then what happened was at the age of 19, I went to rehab for four months. In, to Colombia, out of all places to go to rehab. I went to Colombia for four months. I was supposed to go to, for eight months, but actually it got cut in half and I could only go for four months because I had to come back to a court case that I had to face um, where I got found guilty for, for something and I got a two-year suspended sentence. All of the things that happened just because I was unable to say no. Of, of course, at first, those things were fun, and I wanted to sort of do them. But after some time, they sort of controlled me. And even though they were fun, I still found it really difficult to say no. So you might be here today, and you might be facing some things that you're struggling to say no to. Some things that at first you thought were fun and you really wanted to do, but now... You, you're realizing that actually this has got a hold of me and I can't say no. Maybe you're, you're, you're here and, and there's a boyfriend or girlfriend and you, you're just doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing, but you just can't say no. Maybe there's things at work that you're able to, to just add a little bit of extra something and, and cheat a bit on your tax or, or on some money and you just found that at first you, you sort of wanted to get away with it, but now you can't say no. Maybe you're talking to that man or woman and just for a little bit too longer, and you know that if your wife or husband found out, they wouldn't be happy, but you just found yourself unable to say no. Maybe you're watching things online and you just can't say no. You might be here today and there might be things that, that have just got a hold of you and you just think, how did this ever happen? At first I was just doing it for a laugh, but now I can't say no. Well, what's good is that the people in Jesus' day also faced themselves with that difficulty. And we're in the book of John. So if you go with me to 1 John chapter 2. And John now is around 60 to 80 years old. He's lived a long life with Jesus and he's writing this letter to a group of home churches 
whom he saw, who he's sort of leading, and he's ready to impart them his wisdom of years of walking with Jesus. And he writes this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. So here it is. He's about to give the churches who he's in charge of, who he's sort of leading, how not to sin. He's saying, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. So if anybody, I know you guys might not struggle with sin, but if there might be somebody in this room who struggles with sin, here's the answer. He's saying, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but for also for the sins of the whole world. You may have been wondering why I'm wearing this dirty t-shirt and these ugly shoes up here on the stage. Well done for not pointing it out. Well not for not saying anything. I did see a few people kind of nudging their friends, but I'm here to explain. Right, so I'm going to explain what it means that Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. In some versions, it says the propitiation. Sometimes we see those big words in the Bible and we get a bit scared because we don't know what that means. So Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Before John says anything to his churches, he starts by telling them this. Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for your sins and for the sins of the world. So sin looks a little bit like this. Sin looks like a little bit sort of messy, some stains here, some stains on these shoes. It just looks a little bit dirty. And sin is anything that breaks God's law or breaks God's heart. Anything that we do that breaks God's sin or breaks God's heart. But also, we were born into a world full of sin. So sin sort of looks a little bit like this. We look a bit messy, we look a bit dirty because of sin. And I remember when I first got to Focus and I was wearing new trainers and new shoes and I was trying not to step on the puddles. I was trying to like walk on the pavement and, and not get things dirty. But after a day or two, eventually everything just got really messy. And then what happens is you stop caring where you step, you stop caring where you walk, you stop caring because at the end of the day, you're already messy. You're already a bit dirty, so it doesn't really matter if you get a little bit more dirty. So what sin is like is like that. If we see ourselves as sinful, then we will sin. If we see ourselves as messy, then we'll do mess. If we see ourselves as failures, then we will fail. But John is treating this and he's saying, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for your sin and my sin and for the sin of the whole world. Sometimes when we talk about what Jesus did for us, because we've heard about it so, we've heard of it so often in church, sometimes it can get a bit dry. So I'm going to read to you exactly what Jesus did for you and for me that made him the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Are you ready? So I'm going to read this sort of story. So during the time of the Roman Empire, not only were victims punished by crucifixion, they were also whipped mercilessly beforehand. In a process called scourging, then instructed to carry their own cross to the crucifixion site. This beating was part of Jesus' punishment and was just more than a severe beating. It involves whips and lashes made from leather straps that were attached to a handle. These straps contained metal fragments and pieces of bones that literally tore the flesh off Jesus. I've got 
something that I'm going to show you. After this, they, were also, they also attached a crown of thorns that were like one to two inch thorns that were as hard as oak. They penetrated not only through the skin, but also through the skull. This would have caused a large loss of blood and created severe hemorrhaging of the brain tissue. By the time Jesus went to the cross, he had pieces of his flesh hanging off of him, and he had large open wounds that bled profusely. He also must have been unrecognizable because Isaiah says, just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than any of the sons of men. What this is saying is that he didn't even look human anymore and was so badly beaten that no man has ever been reduced to that what Jesus was. Then Jesus carried this heavy beam which would have been rough and full of splinters to cause even more pain. It must have been about seven to eight feet long and around one foot wide and at least half a foot thick. It could have weighed around 100 pounds or more. The fact that Jesus struggled to carry it wasn't because of the weight, but it's because of the beating that he endured beforehand. Then when he arrived at Golgotha, the nails that pierced Jesus' hands and feet were not nails as we think of them. They resembled something like garden spikes, and, and looked sort of a bit like this. They're around six to eight inches long. When they were driven through the hands and the feet, they were hammered flat on the backside of the wooden beam so that they would, be, so they would keep their impelled victims in place. These nails weren't driven into the palms of the hands because they were insufficient to hold the weight, but they were actually um, nailed through the wrists of Jesus. As for the feet, they drove one large nail through the, top and side of the, through the top side of the middle of the feet. These were hammered through both feet, and they bent the knees of the victim. The victim would have to push themselves up to breathe, which would produce excruciating pain. Once the nails were driven through the wrists and the ankles, it's time for the real suffering to begin. That's because all of, your, all of the body weight is resting on those few nails. This stresses all the muscles, joints, and ligaments your limbs overextend and you begin to suffocate. As a result of having the air supply cut off, the rest of the tissue within your body is going to start falling apart as well. Now your blood vessels are weakening, which can result in fluids slowly leaking into the extremely delicate part of the human body, the heart. The fluid will cause pressure to build, squeezing your heart until it eventually gives up. Many victims of crucifixion die from extreme fatigue in which case they lose the very will to live and succumb to the already vast amount of pain inflicted on them. You see, sometimes we just say that Jesus died for our sins, that it was just something that was easy for him to do. But the truth is this, is that sin has a consequence. Breaking God's law has a consequence. And the Bible says that breaking God's law, sin, the consequences of that sin, is death. There's no way around it. And God looked and saw us and, and loved us so much that he thought, there has to be another way. So Jesus said, I'm going to take their place. I'm going to face the punishment that they deserved. And Jesus comes and lives a life that, that none of us could have lived and dies in our place. He died this crucifixion so that you and I could be made new. It wasn't an easy death, 
but is a death that he had to die in order to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Now, what does that mean? That means that Jesus takes away all our sin. He takes this sin, and I've got Jesus here who's about to bring me something. So Jesus takes this sin, here we go. He takes this sin, all the sin that we've ever done, past, present, and future sin. He takes it all on the cross. I'm gonna throw it here in the bin because it has nothing to do with us anymore. And he gives us a new robe. I've got a new focus robe, white robe of righteousness here. Yeah, who bought some focus merchandise? No, just, oh, just me. Okay, he takes our sin. He takes this, everywhere we've ever been, everything we've ever done, he takes it on himself, pays the punishment which was sin, which was death. And he gives us, like the prodigal son, a new robe and new sandals on our feet. I've even got the box here, look. He, he makes up, what John is trying to say to his disciples is that Jesus, oh, hopefully I don't drop. Jesus being the atoning, oh, oh, balance there. Jesus being the atoning sacrifice for our sin, John is telling his disciples, he makes you brand new. Jesus makes you brand new. Say to the person next to you, he makes you brand new. You see, Jesus takes every sin that's ever happened in your life and pays for it on the cross one time. Your past, present, and future sin were all paid for on the cross. John starts by telling his disciples, you're brand new. You're not defined by what you've done. You're not defined by your mistakes. You're not defined by what you will do. You're defined by who Jesus says you are, and you're brand new. So I came to tell somebody today that you're brand new. See, the, the verse starts off by saying that he's an advocate. So I'm gonna ask Tom and Julian to come up for a moment. I haven't told Julian or Tom yet, so if you'd just like to come up here quickly. Come on, Julian, come on, Tom. They're gonna, they're gonna do something, they're gonna act something out for me a little bit, come on. So Tom, you're gonna be Satan. <laughs> and Julian, you're gonna be us. Right, now, now, wait, so you stand here, you stand here. Right, now, you need to think about this. This is sort of like a court of law, right? When he's an advocate, he's a defender. So what, what, what we sort of live like is this. We have, say, the enemy here, it's Thomas. He looks a bit scary, doesn't he, Tom? And Tom basically is the accuser. So he's constantly accusing all of us of, of the things that we've done, of our sin, of our mistakes, of whatever we've done. So Tom, you have to accuse, act like you're accusing Julian. Yeah, act, act a little bit more scary. Yeah, so, and, and try and remind him of some of the things that he's done. Yes, you didn't wash, you didn't do this. Yeah, great, so the accuser, right? This is like a court of law, the advocate is this. The accuser is trying to blame us for the things that we've done. He's trying to blame you, remind you of the things that you've done. But the accuser doesn't speak in third person, he speaks in first person. He, he reminds you and he says, oh, I'm such a failure, I can't believe I did this, I can't believe I did that, I can't believe I, did, I lied, I can't believe I did this. He's trying to accuse you. But Jesus being the advocate, stands up as our defendant and says, you see, Julian, I know sometimes he does stupid things, but I paid for it. Every time you accuse him of something, Jesus stands up and says, the price for that has been paid. Every time the enemy tries to accuse you or me or any of us, 
We have Jesus, the advocate, who stands in our place in the court of law and says, my son, my daughter, yes, they may have done that, but I've already paid for that sin. He's brand new. He's brand new. You can try and accuse him. The enemy will try and accuse you with those thoughts, but Jesus stands and he says, hold on a second. I've paid for that and he's brand new. You're brand new. There's nothing that the accuser could ever say to you to change the fact that you're brand new because Jesus has paid for it completely. You're brand new. Say to the person to the other side, don't listen to the accuser because you're brand new. Thank you, guys. So the first thing that John says to his disciples is is what? You're brand new. What's the first thing he says to his disciples? You're brand new. You're brand new. He starts off by by saying that. You're brand new. But then he doesn't leave them there. He says this in the following verses. Follow with me. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. For this is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. What, Jesus is, what John is saying to his disciples is, you're brand new. But being brand new changes you. Being brand new changes you. John was giving his disciples two ways for you to know that you've been made brand new. If you obey his commands and if you walk like Jesus. What John was telling his disciples, there was a lot of people in that day that were saying, I know Jesus. I've walked with Jesus. I've been to focus my whole life. I grew up going to Soul Survivor. Of course I know Jesus. My parents are vicars. I know Jesus. And people around, and people around Jesus' day and John's day were saying, I saw Jesus work that miracle. I saw Jesus preach. I saw Jesus do that. Of course I know Jesus. And John is just saying, hold on a second. Hold on, hold on. There are two ways for you to know that you've truly met Jesus. If you obey him and if you walk like him. What John is saying, it's impossible. It's impossible for you to meet Jesus, for him to make you brand new and for you to not change. John is saying it's absolutely impossible. John actually calls people that say that liars. But are there seasons in our life where it sort of looks as though we're not really obeying? Are there seasons in our life where it looks like we're not really walking like Jesus? I'm sure there will be. But the question is, what do you do in those seasons? You see, this isn't sort of like a telescope for us to look at everybody else around us and think, okay, is that person walking like Jesus? Is that person obeying? Is that person following Jesus' commands? It's more like a mirror where we hold that mirror up and say, from the bottom of my, of my heart, do I long to obey Jesus? We look at that mirror and say, from the bottom of my heart, do I long to walk like Jesus? And if you're here today and, you can, and the answer's no, then that's okay. Because today you can meet Jesus. Because today you can be made brand new. But if you're here today and, and you're answering yes, You do want to obey him, but your life doesn't look as though you're living it. And the word from Jesus to you today is, you're brand new. You are brand new. 
You see condemnation and guilt try to come in. And, and, and when sin and con- when condemnation and guilt come in, it makes us feel as though I'm responsible to keep this clean. I'm responsible to keep these shoes white. I'm responsible to keep this jumper white. But what if I told you you weren't responsible for keeping this white? I remember when I first came to church, I was coming out of rehab and I was really, really, really wanting to serve God. I was really wanting my life to change. And I was going to church and I thought, okay, Jesus has done so much for me. Now it's up to me to keep this clean. So I was trying to go to every prayer meeting. I was trying to go to every service. I was trying to give my tithes. I was trying to give offerings. I was trying to do everything it took just so that I could keep this clean. I was trying not to watch things. I was even told I couldn't listen to to music or watch Harry Potter and things like that. So I was trying to keep it as clean as possible. But when I got this jumper at focus, even though I tried to keep it clean, eventually I I leaned on something and it got a little bit dirty. Eventually I sat somewhere and it got a little bit dirty. And once that happened, I stopped caring about it really. And it just got more and more dirty. And that's what happened in my life too. Once I started to fail, I started to feel so condemned, so guilty, so ashamed because of the things that I'd done. And I was literally in the retreat and, and I was saying to God, God, I really want to serve you, but I feel like I can't. And, and, I, and I was saying, I'd rather not, not be in this thing if, I'm, if I can't do it properly. I'd rather not be in this thing if I'm going to be a hypocrite. And I was saying, God, if something doesn't change, then I don't think I can carry on. And this has only ever happened one time in my life. But I heard the audible voice of God. And he said to me, I will love you no matter what you do. I will love you no matter what you do. And that completely transformed my life. The thing is this, is that I'm, I, I didn't earn this righteousness. I didn't earn being blameless. I didn't earn this holiness. Jesus earned it for me when he died on the cross. Martin Luther called it the great exchange. I'm, at, I'm doing a master's in theology at the moment, and that's the first time I've ever had to use it. But he says, Martin Luther calls it the divine exchange. Because he who knew no sin, Corinthians says, he who knew no sin was made sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took all our sin so that we might become righteous. You who are here today feeling guilty and ashamed for some of the things that you've done, I came to tell you that you're brand new. You're brand new. You're not defined by your mistakes. You're not defined by your failures. You're not defined by your past. You're not defined even by what you will do. You're defined by who Jesus says you are. And when Jesus died for you, he made you holy, righteous, blameless. He made you a son. And and if you truly believe in Jesus, you, you can't even change it. You'd be made brand new. What would it look like if everybody in this room truly believed that they were brand new? What would it look like if everybody left this place knowing that who they are is righteous, who they are is blameless, who they are on the inside is a son of God, that they didn't allow condemnation or guilt to hold them down, but they knew that on the inside they were righteous. I want to challenge everybody that's in this room for one whole month to wake up and thank Jesus for making you new. Every morning, wake up and say, thank you, Jesus, that you made me brand new. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm not defined by my past or by my mistakes or by my failures. I'm defined by what you did for me on the cross. And I'm a son. 
I'm going to challenge you, every time that you make a mistake, every time that you do something that you know you shouldn't do, instead of focus on it, focusing on it and dwelling on it, just stand up and say, thank you, Jesus, that you've paid for that, that I'm brand new and I'm not defined by that for a whole month. And you'll see that instead of, that you'll see that you'll be able to say no to sin because it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and teaches us to live upright lives in this present age, as Titus says it. So for a whole month, every day wake up saying you're brand new. After you make a mistake, say I'm brand new and Jesus prayed for me. You are brand new. You're not defined by your past. Don't let condemnation or guilt sit in. You are brand new. You are the very righteousness of God right here before us. You're all sons and daughters of God, blameless in his sight. You're brand new. What would it look like if everybody in this room left and went back to their schools, to their workplaces, to wherever it is that you guys come from, and you were famous for walking like Jesus? And you were famous for loving the people that Jesus loved, the, the people marginalized, the people that everybody else didn't like, the sinners. What would it look like if you were famous for being the light of the world, for being different, set apart to what everybody else was doing? Well, you can do it because you're brand new. And being brand new changes you. It changes you from the inside out. You're not defined by sin. You're not defined by your past. You are who he says you are. And you're brand new. You are brand new. I'd like us all to just stand. And I'm just going to pray, and we're going to have an opportunity to, to pray some more after communion. Um, but just right now, I'm just going to pray for, for all of us. Jesus, I thank you so much that we're brand new. I thank you so much that you've paid for all our sin that you make us whole and complete. And I just pray for, for anybody who's come into church today feeling guilty, ashamed, or condemned, and feeling like they're not good enough. I pray that today, by the power of your Spirit, they will just know that they're a son and daughter, that they will just know that they're accepted, that they will just know that they are righteous in your eyes. Amen.